This morning our passage is Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 through to verse 11. Paul's fond remembrance of the saints at Philippi. Paul's fond remembrance of the saints at Philippi. By way of recap, about ten years after Paul's second missionary journey, during which he and others proclaimed the gospel of Christ in Philippi, which was a Roman colony in Macedonia, Paul wrote this epistle to the church there. It's not so much a letter in which the recipients were being rebuked and corrected concerning wrong doctrine or or bad things that they'd done. Rather, it is a letter in which Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, poured out his love, poured out his affection for each and every one of those saints in Christ Jesus. First of all, we read in verses 3 through to 5, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. In verse 3, Paul said to the Philippians, I thank my God. He amplified those words in the first chapter of his letter to the Romans when he said, I thank my God, but he didn't stop there. He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Therefore, when Paul said, I thank my God in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, he wasn't suggesting for one moment that his God was different to their God. Not at all. But in those words, there is nevertheless a statement that there are many gods. But Paul's God is the only true God. And Paul's God is to be addressed and he is to be approached through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 3 and 4, Paul thanked his God upon every remembrance of the Philippians, making request to God with joy in his heart. As such, he was thanking God for the Philippians and he was joyfully praying for them without reservation. You can be sure that Philippi was just one of many churches that Paul would have been remembering for various reasons in prayer to his God. You'd have to wonder how many hours a day that Paul prayed. But then he did say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. And I feel sure that Paul practiced what he preached. He must have been someone who, whatever he was doing, he was praying in order to pray for these Philippians and to pray for all the others. Some of the people in Philippi whom Paul prayed for went back in time about 10 years to when a woman named Lydia attended unto the things which were spoken by Paul when the Lord opened her heart and she was the first convert in Philippi, indeed the first convert in Europe. And you can be sure that that Paul remembered her and he didn't just remember 
that woman, Lydia, he remembered all the other Philippian saints in prayer. Dear Christian, how much time do you spend in prayer? And when you pray, apart from praying for yourself, which is not a bad thing, especially if you're praying for more holiness in your life, who else do you pray for? Who are the people that are on your heart when you are praying to God through Jesus Christ, his son? How big is the circle of people that you intercede for? Does it extend way beyond your family and your close friends? How far back in time does that circle of people go? For example, do some of those people go back several years since you last saw them? Or is it out of sight, out of mind? In verse 5, we can see the basis for Paul's joyful prayer requests to God concerning the Philippians and why it was that he had such a positive memory of them. The reason was their unwavering fellowship in the gospel of Christ. I don't imagine that the same thing could be said for the Galatians who had turned away from faith alone in Christ alone. You read the Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's a different letter altogether. Uh, on, when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he did have to reprove them, he did have to rebuke them. Not so with the Philippians. To the Galatians, Paul said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And he called them foolish Galatians. You don't find such words in the letter to the Philippians. You can be sure that like all of us, the Philippians were not perfect, but you can also be sure that they were unwavering in their faith in Christ alone for their acceptance before God. Consequently, they were enthusiastic for the proclamation and the furtherance of the gospel of Christ to the extent that they supported Paul's ministry in practical ways, sending him gifts for his needs on several occasions. Theirs was not a religion of works, rather it was genuine saving faith seen in their zeal for good works. The good works flowed from their fellowship in the gospel, their trust in Christ alone. Let's have a look at verses 6 and 7. Being confident of this very thing, that he which have begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet or right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. There is enough in the New Testament for us to know that not everyone who professes faith in Jesus is truly saved. The day will come when many will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. However, Paul was confident that when Jesus comes again, no longer as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, but when Jesus comes again in judgment, the Philippian Christians, whom this epistle was written to, will be amongst those, not whom Jesus says, I never knew you, but rather Jesus would say to them, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And there shall be the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. The Apostle Paul had seen enough and he knew enough about the Philippians to be persuaded that they were truly saved from their sins and that God, who had started a good work in them, would bring that work to completion. God would do those things. Note that Paul was not saying that he was confident that they, the Philippians, would be eternally saved from their sins if they continued to have fellowship with him in the gospel and if they did various other things. Not at all. That's not what Paul was saying. Rather, he viewed their perseverance in the gospel as evidence that God really was at work in them and that God would most certainly bring his work to completion. He could see that. He could see that God was working in those people. Their faith was visible. The Apostle Paul taught extensively on the subject of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the need to have a righteousness which is not of yourself, but is of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was convinced by their fellowship in the gospel that they really were recipients of the same saving grace of God, the same grace that Paul had received. Even though he was an apostle, they'd received the same grace as him. That is clear from what he was saying in verse 7. He saw their participation in his chains and in the defence and advancement of the gospel of Christ as evidence that the undeserved favour of God was with them, just in the same way as it was with him. Verse 8. For my God, uh, sorry, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. In verse 8 we get to see something of the love and the affection of the Apostle Paul for the Philippians. We're used to seeing the doctrine of Paul and I, I don't know about the rest of you but I certainly love the doctrine of Paul. But here in these, in these verses we see something of the great love which is in the Apostle Paul. Not just for some of those Philippians, but for all of them, from the least of them to the greatest of them. I think that's really important for us to understand. His love for all of those Philippians. In Psalm 42 and verse 1, the psalmist said, As the deer pants for the water, 
so pants my soul for you, O God. That's something that all true Christians are able to relate to and add their amen to, since by the grace of God, all Christians, all true Christians, pant and long for their great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Do we not? We pant and we long for him and to be with him. That's not what Paul was saying there. That's what was said in Psalm 42 and verse 1. However, in Philippians verse uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul declared how he longed for all the Philippians. He, re- he really was someone whose great love for God was evident in his great love for the brethren, and not just some of them either, all of them. The bowels were regarded as the seat of affection. We see in verse 8, For God is my record how greatly I long, I long after you, I pant after you. All in the bowels of Jesus Christ, the bowels there, regarded as the seat of affections. Therefore, when Paul said, I long after you, in the bowels of Jesus Christ, he was talking about the affection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is telling us that the love that he had was actually a love that had its origin outside of himself and in Christ. This verse reveals something of the tenderness and love, not that Paul had stirred up within himself, but rather what the Lord Jesus Christ had stirred up deep within him for the Philippians, for all of them. He was talking as if the very heart of Christ dwelt deep within him. He wasn't giving himself the glory for that love and affection that he had for the Philippians. He was giving God the glory, quite rightly so. May it be our prayer that we too would have a love that comes from Christ and for all the brethren, for each one of us in this little fellowship of ours. Verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or all sense or in all discernment. It was certainly Paul's prayer that the love that the Philippians already had in abundance would abound yet more and more. For one thing, the love that they had was not a shallow and selfish love that originates in this fallen world. We've already seen that. It's a love that comes from Christ. It's the love of God that was that is abundantly poured into the hearts by the Holy Spirit. That kind of love is a Christian fruit. And Paul prayed that that love would multiply even more in their hearts and in their lives. Since it is the love of God, it is a love that delights in the triune God. That stands to reason, doesn't it? If you as a Christian have love and that love 
um, flows out of your heart for others and it's the love of God, then you have a love and affection for the triune God, the one true God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. When a person has knowledge without love, he is nothing. However, when a person has the kind of love that is spoken of in verse 9, a love that is in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment, it is a love that suffers long and is kind, it is a love that does not envy, does not parade itself, a love that is not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own, it is a love that is not provoked, it thinks no evil, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It is a love that bears all things, that believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Uh, that is that's most certainly the love of Christ. It's a description of Jesus. And it's one that you probably ought to feel very uncomfortable with. And uh, if you're trying to say, well, that's the love that I have for others, I could read it again. You read it for yourself in 1 Corinthians Nevertheless, this is something that we ought to be praying for, that kind of love. A love that does not seek its own. A love that is not provoked. A love that thinks no evil. It's the love of Jesus. That kind of love can never be separated from knowledge and discernment That is, knowing and doing that which is pleasing to God. All of that, all of those things there that describe that love of Christ, they are things that are pleasing to God. Not self-seeking. That kind of love is achieved through the knowledge of the word of God. And living it out as opposed to living in accordance with a carnal and earthly understanding of things. The love of this world, it's not worth a dime. It's a selfish love. It's not one that suffers long and is kind, that does not envy, that does not parade itself. That's the love of Christ. Let's have a look at verse 10 that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ. The reason is given here for Paul's prayer that the Philippians' love may abound yet more with knowledge and discernment, so that they may be pure and without blame at the judgment. Therefore they were to examine themselves to see if they were indeed Pure, they were to examine themselves to see if they were pure or whether they were corrupted by sin. The same as precious metals are tested for impurities. Look at verse 10 again, that ye may approve things that are excellent. This is when you have the love of Christ, a, a, a love that is based on knowledge and discernment, a biblical love. A love that comes from Christ that ye may approve. Things that are excellent. Are you doing that, Christian? 
Is that something you do? You, in order to answer that, you need to examine yourself. You need to look at your, the things that you love, the things that you do, your lifestyle. Is this something that you can apply to yourself? If you really are a saint in Jesus Christ, then you are pure, you are holy, you are without blame before God. And that has been the case ever since you were first saved from your sins, ever since you first trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy and without blame before God. However, that purity and that blamelessness really ought to be increasingly apparent in your born-again life, as you love, as your love abounds yet more and more in all knowledge and all discernment. You can't just turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 1 that tells us that you are holy and without blame before God. Praise God for that, that you are. But that ought to become increasingly more obvious and evident in the life that you live. As you... As your love is in, uh, you're bound in a love that is in knowledge and in judgment or discernment. Let's have a look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Finally, the person whose love abounds yet more and more in knowledge and discernment is someone who is filled with the fruits of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, various other fruits of the Spirit. When that is the case, good works are sure to follow. Note that the fruits of righteousness are not of yourself. They are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, according to verse 11. Therefore, all you saints in Christ Jesus, pray fervently that your love might abound yet more and more in knowledge, in discernment, as you study the word of truth, and as God transforms you, and he renews your mind, Pray that the love of Christ that is in you might be seen in fruits of righteousness to the glory and the praise of God who saved you by his grace. Amen.